For those who are wondering, I cannot bring my sleeves down and button them in 30 seconds. So we just put the jacket on and we'll go with it. All right? But in the message I'll say today, truly, there's nothing up my sleeves. So uh, everything we say to you is right on target. Hey, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Kings, uh, really chapter 3. I'm going to hit you a little bit in two for just a second over here. Uh, we started a series looking at a Bible uh, character, a, a true life historical character by the name of Solomon. And uh, as we've been following, as he's become king, we're going to trace his life and see the things about him as one of the greatest kings ever in Israel's history. And there's some positives we can take from him, but then there's also some warning signs along the way. Uh, last, uh, <clears throat> last week, we talked about how that uh, he was selected to be the king. And as he was getting ready to be selected to the king, uh, he had a older brother, Adonijah, who, and Adonijah, that with Adonijah, he thought that he should be king because he was older. And so he tried to crown himself, do his own little coordination. And then uh, Nathan Bathsheba came to David. They told him of the big plan. David put things in motion, said, let's go on and make Solomon king. Sure enough, they made Solomon king. And so that kind of put some cold water on his older brother's celebration. So the older brother, uh, uh, kind of came back to Solomon and was worried about his life. And Solomon had told him that, hey, don't worry. If you kind of fly right, fly straight, everything will be okay. But if you don't, I'll have to take you out. And so he understood. Well, the very next chapter, when you get to chapter two, um, uh, he comes to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, okay? And, um, and, and, and Adonijah comes to her and he wants to make a request. And, but I want you to hear his heart over here, and you'll pick up about him. He said to her, you know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. And so I've got one request to make from you, and I just ask you not to refuse me. We always love it when our children come up to us and say, hey, I'm going to make a request, and I don't want you to say no. We love that as parents, don't we? Well, he shares that with Bathsheba, and he says, just don't refuse me. You know the kingdom should have been mine, okay? So we know where his heart is. He said, I've just got one request. You know the snuggle bunny that um, David had? Now, for those that were not here last Sunday, David, he was getting old. He couldn't stay warm. So there was a practice during that time where you'd find a younger woman, and she would just kind of hold you and, and make you warm. Uh, we've not encouraged people to go with that practice at this time for uh, older senior adult men. But uh, to find the woman, not just any woman, they found out the most beautiful woman to be able to carry this off. And so that was kind of his snuggle bunny over here. And uh, when he died... He comes up and uh, the older brother says, I'd like to have her for my wife, if you can give her for my wife. Now, for most of us, we'd say, well, she's a Chick-fil-A. She's got to be a looker because she's the most beautiful woman. So he just wants her because she's a looker. But, you know, a part of that, but the other part of it, during that time, if somebody ever messed with the king's wives or harem or whatever, it was a power play. And it pretty well showed that you had some dominance over them. So by him asking for this, it was really a power play to say, I really am greater than Solomon. So Bathsheba says, I'll ask. She lays it out to Solomon. Solomon sees through it. He says, okay, fine. He calls his head of his security and says, take him out. And he took him out. So, all right. So I just want to let you know, uh, Adonijah, 
His ending was not good, okay? So he was gone. There were some other uh, people that were taken out in chapter two. It's kind of like a scene from The Godfather. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, his rule is established. So now his rule is established, and you run into chapter three. And when you get into chapter three, you began to learn a little bit more about Solomon and about some of his first steps that he's taking. So I want you to follow with me. Starting in the very first verse of chapter three, it says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Very first thing, he gets married to a foreign woman from Egypt for political reasons. Now, the Bible warned these people about intermarrying of different races. Stay with me. There's nothing wrong with interracial marriage. It was the fact that they were worshiping pagan gods. And he says, you don't need to marry someone who's worshiping a pagan god to come in here because they will turn your heart on that. And so he went to Pharaoh's daughter and married her who were worshiping a pagan god and got married. Politically, it made great sense. It kind of strengthened the south border that he had, and for Egypt, it gave them a trade route uh, to get on to deal with the other countries. So politically, it seemed like it made sense. Then you get to verse 2. Verse 2 says, the people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Now, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds with you, but you just got to stay with me on this first part about high places. If you read through the Old Testament at all, you'll constantly see the prophets denouncing high places. You say, what is it with high places? High places was like elevated areas that were built up to where the Canaanites would worship false gods. And so... They were always discouraging the children of Israel from going to the high places because they were concerned about what we would call syncretism. Syncretism means you mix and match. Like, I'm going to go to this high place. I'm going to worship Jehovah God. But you know, that Baal God over here, when they worship here, they do this and this. I may tie a little bit of that in, and let's just mix it all together and do that. And God says, no, you don't need to do that. But in this particular instance, when you look at it, verse 2, it says they were sacrificing at the high places, however, because the house had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. They were in a tweener position. Usually, they want you to uh, worship at the tabernacle and where the Ark of the Covenant is. At this particular time of history, the Ark of the Covenant is sitting in Jerusalem. The tabernacle, to where it used to be seated, was seven miles away in Gibeon. And so you got a priest in charge of Jerusalem, you got a priest in charge of Gibeon, and there were high places around there, and they said, you can worship at the high places temporarily, but as soon as the temple is complete, we're done with high places. Are you okay with me on that? Now you move into verse 3. In verse 3, it says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. He loved the Lord. He had a passionate yearning for a relationship with God. What a great word about him. But then it says, it says, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And a lot of people read that and they say, oh, chink in the armor. He's worshiping at the high places. But they just said that until the temple's built, it was okay to worship in the high places. 
So one commentator has used that word only and it says it's an impression of a state of incompleteness that I'm doing this now because there is no temple. So that's why I'm going to the high places and that it should not be something held against him. Read different commentaries. A lot of them are holding against him. I'm not holding against him. And and the reason I'm not is verse 4. You ready? Stick with me. This is important. You need to know this. Verse 4. Verse 4 says this. He says, uh, And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place, and Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. A thousand burnt offerings. (laughs) That's a bunch. So he went to Gibeon. If you read it in 1 Chronicles, it says there was a group of people with him. He took an entourage with him, and he travels to Gibeon, and he goes to Gibeon to the high place, and he sacrifices to the Lord. Now, David, man after God's own heart, in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 39 through 40, this is a little step back in time. Look what he did. And he left Zadok the priest and his brothers the priest before the tabernacle of the Lord in the what? High place that was at Gibeon to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly, morning and evening, to do all that is written in the law of the Lord that he commanded Israel. So David said, Zadok, we're on a high place here, set it up, and uh, until we can get the ark uh, and the temple built, This is temporary. You can sacrifice here at the high place. So when Solomon goes to Gibeon, it was the right thing for him to do. All right? So he begins to make his move over there, and uh, he offers all these sacrifices. And God must have been pleased because look what happens in verse 5. Verse 5 says this. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what shall I give you? Whoa. Whoa. God appears to Solomon in a dream, and he says, blank check. And I laughed. I was doing this preparation. I said, it's a blank check. I said, young people may not know what a check is uh, <laughs> on there. So if you, it's something you can write from your bank, and then they'll cash it, and you get money back. And so it, this is a, a blank check. It is like God says, draw on my account. You fill it in the amount. Ask whatever it is that you want. What is it you want? Whoa, what kind of answer is he going to give on here? Well, he didn't put any restrictions on this. However, his response, Solomon's response, would reveal the godliness or the ungodliness of his character. Now, his response is in verses 6 through 9, but I'm going to jump ahead in verse 9, and I want to tell you what he said, and then I'm going to go back, and I'm going to cover what led up to that response. Are you ready? Verse 9, and he says this, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. Give your servant an understanding mind. Now, some of you may have it where it's got understanding heart. Understanding mind, literally it means a listening heart. The Hebrew word there can be translated either heart or mind. And when it says, give me an understanding mind, he's not talking about just brain. 
He's talking about brains, emotion, a will, a totality of his being to say, I want to be able to discern your will. I want wisdom. Above everything else, I want wisdom. Understanding mine, a listening heart. If you can give me this, this is what I want. Filled in the blank check. So why? Why did he ask that? Well, this is how he came about in filling in the blank check. And there's three things that you can look at right here that just, to me, sort of nail how he came up with this. Number one, there was praise to God and gratitude for David. There was praise to God and gratitude for David. Look what he said in verse 6. God asked him the question, what do you want? I'll give you anything that you want. And he comes right back, the very first thing he says, and Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and an uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. The very first words he responded when God says, tell me what you want me to give you. He says, first of all, God, let me tell you, and I want to give praise and honor to you. You are a God of steadfast love. You are a God who is a promise keeper. Because you told my dad that you would give him a son that would sit on the throne. And that through there, there would be the dynasty would continue. And then they know, they understand that the lineage of that will go to, to a son, Jesus Christ, later on. But that the, the dynasty of that, of that rule would continue. You promised David this and you followed through on that promise. You are a promise keeper. You are one of steadfast love. So the first thing he did was he praised God, and then he gave gratitude for David. And this is a son talking about his dad. And look what he says. David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. I'm telling you, every dad here, would you want your kids to say that about you? Wouldn't you love it if somebody says, hey, in one sentence, describe your dad. And you come over here and say, well, let me just tell you what this. Uh, he was faithful, he was righteous, and he walked with an uprightness of heart with God. Man, that's what you want. Bryant Wright is the pastor at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia. And three weeks ago, his, his dad passed away. And uh, I sent him a text of, of condolence. And Bryant sent me a text back, and this is what his text said. He said, my dad was almost 92, the finest Christian man I've ever known. Finest Christian man I've ever known. This is a man who spent a lot of years in ministry, seen a lot of people come and go. But his dad, finest Christian man I've ever known. Man, that's what you want to live for. And that's what David was, and that's what he was to Solomon. And so when Solomon, before he asks, before he answers that question, he says, I'm going to give praise to God, steadfast love, promise keeper. And I just got to give gratitude to my dad because he laid out a way for me to walk. Second of all is perspective. Look at the perspective he had. Before he could answer this question, he had to share his perspective. And verse 7 says this, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant uh, king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out 
or come in. Now, this is sort of an exaggeration. He's not a child. He's a young adult. But he says, you know what? I am like a child when it comes to being a king. There is an utter dependence on God. Because, you know, I've never done this before. This truly is my first rodeo. I've never been the king of a nation before. And so the perspective I'm looking at it is when you say, Solomon, anything you want, I'll give you. He says, you know, I've never had experience in this. And so I am utterly dependent on you. So before I give you my answer, I need you to know I'm utterly dependent on you. And then you get to verse 8. And verse 8 just adds to it. And he says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. In the midst of your people whom you have chosen. It's God's chosen people. It's just not any country. You didn't just allow me to be the king of, of this nation or that nation. You chose the nation that is your people, your chosen people. And that puts a little bit of extra pressure on him over there because he says they deserve the best care they can get. They deserve the best guidance that they can get. You know, I thought about when, when I became the, the pastor here at Shades Mountain, I, I had to follow in the footsteps uh, of Miller and Chambliss and Gears and, and Carter. And, and those were some big shoes to follow in. But my goodness, Solomon, he's got to follow uh, the people like uh, Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Samuel and David. Those are some big sandals to walk in. I mean, that is huge. And so he's got to follow these stalwarts of the faith. And as he's trying to follow these stalwarts of the faith, he says, I'm in utter dependence on you. Plus, when you get to the end of verse 8, look what it says in verse 8. And he's a great people, too many to be numbered or, or, counted, or um, counted for multitude. He says, and they've grown bigger than they've ever been before. And because we're larger than we've ever been before means we need to lead differently than we've ever led before. So even though I read their leadership books, what they did back then may not apply right now because we're in a whole different situation. We're not at war. We're growing. We're large. What do we do? He says, perspective. There is an utter dependence on God. He praises God. Starts off. He has this incredible perspective that there's this utter dependence on God and then the very last thing uh, on there is the purpose. It's the purpose. And here it is, verse 9. When he says that he wants wisdom, he says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. Why? To govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your people? I want an understanding mind. I want wisdom. And he didn't make this request for the good of himself, but it was the good of the people and the glory of God. He was making a kingdom-minded prayer request. He did not ask to be wise, so he would be the most famous wise guy that there is. He asked so that the people of God would be wisely governed. He wanted God to give him the ability to do what God had called him to do so he could bring honor and glory to God. That was not only just his perspective, but that was also his purpose. And so when he asked, Lord, I want an understanding mind, it was not any selfish motives whatsoever. It was, these are your people, and I want to effectively govern your people because you have placed me in this position. And so, Lord, in order for me to do it, I'm going to need wisdom, wisdom beyond anything else 
that you could, that I can even imagine so that you can be glorified? That's my answer. Well, did God like that answer? Whoa, did he? Look what it says in verse 10. It said, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. In verse 11, and God said to him, because you've asked this, and if not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. There's so many other things you could have asked for, things that were more self-centered, but you didn't. And he says, and because of that, verse 12, this is kind of like, Johnny, show us what they've won. Verse 12, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. You will be the wisest man that has ever lived up to your birth. You will be the wisest man that will ever live until after the world ends. You are the most, you will be the wisest earthly person ever. No comparisons on there. Incredible. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 13. Verse 13 says, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. You'll be the wisest, you'll be the richest, and you'll be the most famous king ever. So somebody comes up to you and gets into one of those little contests where I say, you know, I think my king's better. No, there's no comparison. I think he's richer. Here's my bank saying, ooh, no, he's not. Yeah, there's no comparison. You're the guy. You're the number one. And I'm giving you all of this. But you see, I give you all of this, but then I give you another thing, and that's in verse 14. And that says that if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. I'll allow you to live a good long life on there. All because of what you ask. So you ask the question, well, Danny, did it really come true? Yes. Turn the page to 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29. We're going to put them up on the screen for you because this is some good stuff. This is what God did for him. This is what God did for Solomon. Made his prayer, made his request. This is what God did. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people and of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. And so you take Egypt, you take Persia, you take Babylon, all the learning centers of the world at that day, he was wiser than all of those people. And in verse 31, for he was wiser than all other men. He was wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. I just love this passage. <laughs> Who are these guys? Uh, now, two of them did write a psalm, and they got published. Solomon's got a whole book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. But it's just interesting that the writer of 1 Kings, when he's writing to talk about how wise he is, his audience is reading this, and they look down here, and it says, the sons of Mahol, three of the wisest people are the sons of Mahol. That was some dude there. I mean, he's got some smart kids. 
And apparently they must have been the smartest kids on the block because they came back and he said, even smarter than Mayhole's kids on there. I mean, it's like these kids were like the finalists on Jeopardy. And, and, and they thought they were going to be the big winners. And then Solomon shows up and boom, he goes off and wins the whole thing. They're smarter than Mayhole's kids. That just put it into perspective for the people of that day to go, whoa, that, that's pretty smart. But see, it didn't, it didn't really end there. He then gives you a little detail about him. And he says he also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and he wrote 1,005 songs. He spoke of trees from the cedar that's in Lebanon. That's one of the tallest trees there is. To the hyssop, a small bush that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth, he'd heard of his wisdom. He is the original Wikipedia. He knows something about everything. I mean, he's a naturalist, he's the botanist, uh, he's this renaissance man that writes songs. No matter what it is, you ask him, this guy, this guy knows it. And then at the very end, that last verse, he says, people from all nations come to hear the wisdom of Solomon. People pay to come listen to him do TED Talks about Proverbs of Wisdom. And they come from all over the world to hear this guy. This is incredible. He got everything that God said. He was the wisest, he was the richest, and he was the most famous man. Wow. And it didn't just end there. Because today we can pick up our Bible, and if you want to get wisdom for living, you can read the book of Proverbs. If you want to study a wise philosophy of life, you can read Ecclesiastes. Or if you want to hear about wisdom, about love and romance, you can read the Song of Solomon. I mean, it's things that he has left for us. So we come to today, and you say, okay, I take all of that historical. Where does that come down for us? It comes down to the question. It's the title of our sermon, and that is, need wisdom? With a question mark. How about it? Do you need wisdom? I would say that all of us need some wisdom. But I'm talking about the wisdom that cuts through confusion and replaces it with clarity. The kind of wisdom that protects you from making decisions that could haunt you for the rest of your life. Do you need wisdom for decisions at work? Decisions for the future? For a broken relationship? For problems in your family? The Bible gives a promise that to anyone who asks in faith, in James chapter 1 verse 5 it says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. And we throw this verse out a pretty good bet. Say, hey, just need to ask God for wisdom. He will, he will give that to you. And I want to propose to you today that it's more than just glibly throwing that out. I think we need to be a little bit more concentrated and uh, uh, a little bit more purposeful when we ask God's wisdom. And I want to just close our message by taking the Solomon model and putting it into today. The first thing I want to add to it is this. If you truly need wisdom, there are four things. Number one is this. You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is number one. If you don't do number one, you don't really need to claim James 1.5, okay? Uh, so number one is placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God said there would be no wiser earthly king than Solomon, and for 3,000 years that has been true. But as wise as Solomon was, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, God's son, son of a carpenter, born and uh, raised in Nazareth, is infinitely wiser. 
Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And when he was talking to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, look what he says. If, he says, she came, talking about the Queen of Sheba, she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. This is Jesus, carpenter's son, talking to the religious elite. And everybody knows that Solomon is the wisest, smartest guy there is. And Jesus himself said, hey, something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. Someone that is wiser than Solomon. And in fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, verse 24 says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus, sent by God to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and then was raised from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, giving us the opportunity to come into a right relationship with God and to spend eternity with him in heaven. This is the plan that God put together. To have a sinless savior, savior go to a cross, pay the penalty for our sins. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that through the cross, God made foolish the wisdom of the world. Because the wisdom of the world says, if in order for me to really make it to this next location, to get to heaven or whatever, there must be a lot of things that I need to do. But what God did was he contrasted the wisdom of the world and said, no, it's already done. Jesus has already done it. He's paid the penalty. It is a matter of you accepting that. But for the world, it takes the gospel and its emphasis on the cross as foolishness. But God in his omnipotence determined to save people on the basis of their trust in Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus is the wisdom of God. So the first thing we want to do is to place our faith in him. Second of all, is you need to praise and honor God for who he is and what he has done. Praise and honor God for who he is and what he has done. If you're getting ready to seek wisdom, before you just jump out there and say, hey, God, I've got this situation, stop for a moment and do exactly what Solomon did, and that is you praise God. Take moments. Praise him for his steadfast love. Praise him for his mercy. Praise him for his grace. Praise him for his justice. Praise him for his unchanging goodness. Praise him for his holiness. Praise him for his sovereignty. Praise him for his omnipotence. And start it out with a heartfelt praise to God. And just a few verses down from James 1.5 is James 1.17 that says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. And he says, it comes down from above where there is no shifting shadows. There is no change that takes place. It's the same God yesterday and today and forever. That is the God that you are to praise. And once I get my heart right and I praise him, then I come into my perspective. And your perspective is this, that you need to admit your limitations and utter dependence on God. Admit your limitations and your utter dependence on God. You don't just glibly throw out and say, give me some wisdom. You come and you say, God, I just got to tell you where I am. I know that I am limited. And there is no way that I can make this next call, this next decision without you. I am utterly dependent on you. As smart as I may think that I am, as talented as I think I may am, as I, as I think I am, uh, I, I can't. I'm utterly dependent on you. You know, in Proverbs 2, 6, it says, for the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It is he who gives us that wisdom. And so that brings you to the final and that is purpose. When you're asking God for wisdom, what is the purpose? 
It is wisdom to serve God well in whatever he has called you to do. Wisdom to serve God well in whatever he's called you to do. So I want you to put this together and think about it. I'm getting ready to ask God for wisdom. I place my faith and trust in Christ, first of all. Then I praise God. I get my heart ready. I see who he is. There's a perspective of where there's an utter dependence on him. And then before I even ask for wisdom, I need to ask myself, what is the purpose for this? Is it just me to be seen in a better light? Is I'll make more money or I'll be more successful? Or is it wisdom to serve God well in whatever he has called you to do? Wisdom for honoring your parents. Wisdom for serving your spouse. Wisdom for raising a child. Wisdom for loving a neighbor. Wisdom for excelling at work. Wisdom for sharing the gospel or any other thing that God calls you to do. Understand that purpose. So we come back. Need wisdom? Yeah, we all do. But let me encourage you with this challenge, that before we glibly ask God for wisdom, for whatever it is before us, let's learn from Solomon about the importance of praising God, our perspective of an utter dependence on him, and a purpose that would bring honor and glory to him. And then make that request of wisdom. And according to James 1.5, it says he will give us that and provide us the wisdom that we need. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I uh, thank you for your word. I thank you for the life of Solomon and how we've been able to uh, learn and glean some things from him. But our challenge today is, is about wisdom. And Father, if, if I'm correct, every person sitting here and listening to this message has a need for wisdom. And may what we've learned today provide us some guidelines to be able to effectively come before you and get your guidance for one reason, one reason only, and that is so that we can bring glory to your name and that you can use us to advance your kingdom. And we can do that through wise choices that you have directed us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.